0: you're born an Italian. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born an Italiano, and your life will be great.
1: Hey there, Paisani! Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola, hanging out with my best pal, the notorious P.O.B., the Italian American Wikipedia himself, Mister. Patrick O'Boyle. And as we record today, it is Ferragosto here. In uh, Italian America and in Italy and all throughout the diaspora, it's supposed to be a day of rest and relaxation. It's the word for diaspora,
2: or diaspora. What's the correct pronunciation? It's a great question. I have no idea. I think it is diaspora. Sometimes people try to sound really smart and say diaspora. And then I'm like, do I not know?
1: I like to use the word diasporic. I find like that really nails people, you know, the, oh, diasporic. Oh, that's really, you know, sounds smart. But no matter where we are in this great uh, diaspora, diaspora, we should be relaxing today. It's uh, August 15th, the Feast of the Assumption, uh, Ferragosto in Italy. I don't know about you. I worked all day, Pat. I, uh, I did not take off. No, I I... Today I take off. You took off? Oh, I'll just put on my Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a holy day of obligation, obviously. So, you know.
2: I got to spend the day with the Colasordo family. Oh, tell us about that. The Colasordos. they're from a town called Morone del Sanio, and they had a huge community in Jersey City. And today is the patronal feast day of Morone del Samuel. And one of the Morone's had a party at his house. And so I went there.
1: And now they don't have a big feast.
2: Um, It's complicated. It's kind of like a divorce and the next wife. Oh, geez. Um, they're no longer at the church that it started at. But that's okay. They found someplace better. Someplace nicer. They're fantastic people. And therefore, I had a fantastic day. They're keeping the feast alive. Yes. Yeah, but one thing that I really... You know, I, I've started to think so much because we have people from all around the country. You have different experiences. That is something that I enjoy here. So, yes, the colosortos and Moronese, this is their feast day. So they invited everybody over for basically like the American version of the barbecue today. That's awesome. So they had a mass. They had a mass in Mount Carmel in Newark. It used to be at Holy Rosie in Jersey City, but that's another story for another day. And um, it was fantastic, fantastic day. The whole family goes. They're all dressed up. Everybody was in a suit. Afterwards, they go home, they change. And Morone has a specific hymn, the Virgin Mary. Um, the patron of what I think the patroness of Morone is Our Lady of Grace, which is July 2nd. And at some point, way, way back, they had a horrible drought and the fields were very dry and the town was going to starve to death. And they took out the statue of Our Lady of Grace on the Feast of the Assumption and um, the rains fell. And that's why the statue of their patroness has a. Shaft of wheat in her hand, really. Mary has Jesus in one hand and a shaft of wheat in the other, so it's a hyper
1: specific statue to that town to their devotion. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I love that. And there's a copy of it at Holy Rose in Jersey. Then, yesterday, I was with the Catabetas in Connecticut, who are listeners to the show. Yes, they like the Fidelis, they're on the paddle boil gold standard of Italian hospitality. That's awesome. And what were you doing up there? I like to be invited to houses where I eat and drink well. Um, It was Christina, who we had on the show, who is involved with the Italian American Bar Association. She had a special birthday and I was invited to the birthday. Yeah, you really are. You, if, if any listener
1: wants to hang out with Pat, it's not a huge leap. He, he'll go.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I go everywhere. I love
1: everywhere. <laughs> you do. Yeah. I
2: know. Really, yeah, I'll call it over. anybody's has to eat, drink. Sure. Absolutely. Because we have the best list. And I'm not blowing smoke. You know, we have the best listenership.
1: No, we got great listeners.
2: We got the gold standard listenership. Yeah, we're very blessed. I, on Saturday, the other Chilantani people who will celebrate Moronero Mond in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, I was there. Very dear friends there. I was there Saturday. I had an extremely Italian American weekend. Nah, it was just it was an out of the park weekend. I love Pennsylvania. We had a great time. Pizza frit to the other Chilantani people who were there. Anello, Mary, Grace, Renee, fantastic people. Very hospitable. So, yeah, I had a very, I had a very Italian-American weekend. Did you have a very Medigan weekend? Where were you?
1: I was home, doing stuff at home. My family got sick. Home
2: Depot? Did you go to Home Depot No, I I didn't go. Thank God I didn't go to Home Depot I was going to say real Medigan. No, I
1: was. No, I was doing normal stuff. We were supposed to go to my mom's for macaroni Sunday, of course. My dad got sick, so it was basically like a wash. I. I did see my family a bunch. I saw my in-laws on Friday. I saw my brother and his wife and kids on Friday. You
2: know, I was discussing your in-laws with people from Luca. And um, at the Carapetas, there was a gentleman um, whose family was from Luca. And I told him about how you, your mother, I guess your grandmother-in-law, yeah. made the Nietzsche, the pancakes, yeah. the... Uh,
1: yeah, the chestnut flour crepes. Yeah,
2: may she rest in peace. And I, yeah, I was like, wow, you know Nietzsche? I said, do I know Nietzsche?
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, when, when my wife's grandmother passed, last year she was like 94 just the nicest lady in my mean, pack got to meet her she was a firecracker from Tuscany and my mother-in-law gave me a set of the Nietzsche making irons they're like medieval irons Nietzsche for those who are uninitiated to the Lucchese culture are chestnut flour crepes and let me tell you that is a delicious recipe if you like chestnut I like chestnut and it's very simple these crepes but they fill them with ricotta and you could just eat a ton of them and so it's really interesting to make too they they heat these hot irons on the stove, and then they create, like, an egg wash on the iron to create some kind of slippage so that it, it's like a—
2: Is that a, what they do to keep them from slipping? Yeah,
1: so that they don't stick. It's really bizarre, but a really great tradition, and my mother-in-law included me in the family and gave me uh, my own set of them.
2: What do they make them for? Is that, like, a special holiday? Like Not a, that I know uh, October, of, no. Like, October fall? No, yeah. I guess yeah, it's like, the yeah. fall when they grind the chestnuts into chestnut flour. It's very simple, but a very nice dish. It is. It's, it's heartwarming. You know, it's soul food. Yeah, it's heartwarming. See, I'm not, I didn't intermittent fast today, so I'm calm. <laughs> you're not
1: going crazy about Nietzsche no, right I'm now. like
2: chill. I'm not like trying to pull my hair out of my head, find Nietzsche somewhere. I don't think it's good for me to take when I haven't eaten. <laughs> That's probably
1: true. You get very focused on the food.
2: I get very focused. I got a manjar.
1: As soon as food comes up, you go crazy. Yeah.
2: See, now today I'm chill. Banzakiena. Yeah, you're relaxing today. Yeah. I know. But you did. You had you had a very Italian-American
1: weekend. I had a pretty calm one, but I did see most of my family. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about the topic of today's show, right? You're talking about going to see people who are keeping their feasts alive in different ways and evolving them, and, you know, we talk about feasts all the time on this show, especially in this feast season, and we get a great response from the audience. People seem to really enjoy these conversations for sure. I think it's safe to say a feast is a central part of a lot of... Identities for a lot of communities in the United States and
2: tank movies.
1: Yeah, yeah, of our community. I mean, a lot of. You know. the
2: Norwegians feast. I guess they do. I don't know. Didn't you say there's a Norwegian who listens to us? There's like a Katoken.
1: There is one Norwegian lady who wrote in. Yeah, that she listens to us and is always uh, always Mrs.
2: Anderson. What's her name? <laughs> I
1: don't. I can't remember. off the top of my head. If
2: you're out there, Mrs. And I will we'll go to Minnesota. They mu- Minnesota. They must be a dime a dozen. They must be Italian feast. Like looked fish everywhere.
1: You know, one of my trips that I really want to take, it's not an Italian community, but, you know, during the controversy around all these name changes, right, the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Indians and stuff, there was a an issue, an article that was written. They
2: could have New Jersey rules
1: Well, no, there was an article that was written that there was a team in South Dakota in a town called Wapiton, which I think I'm pronouncing all right, W-A-H. The Waps? Yeah, the Waps and they changed the name in the 70s, and I am desperate to go there and research because most of the people in this town in South Dakota had never met an Italian person. There was an Italian exchange student in the 70s who was like, you know, this is a derogatory
2: name. blah blah. How would somebody in Italy even have known that?
1: I have no idea. This is all I can find on it, right? But the people in this town are basically saying, like, we didn't know that WAP was an Italian person. Like, they had no idea that that was a derogatory epithet for an Italian person, and I think it sounds to me like they... Just picked the name sometime in like the twenties for the consonants, you know, the wappets and wops or whatever it was. So my, I'm desperate to get out there and see if I can't research. I mean, I've been like searching for old versions of their high school yearbooks online and whatever I could find. See,
2: what's their fight song?
1: <laughs> I haven't seen one yet. That's you what I'm, have I need some evidence, song. you know. If there's if there's any reference to us at all, you know, then I, I can see it. I mean, but it, pe-
2: people often ask about wop. WAP does not come from without papers. Yeah, that's important. That is a great lie. It comes from the Neapolitan word, WAP. Yeah. And WAP in Neapolitan is a tough guy. That's where it comes from.
1: Exactly, yeah. Because
2: Neapolitan actually has a W. Jeek turns into a W.
1: It's like the song Waparia. Yeah, Waparia, yeah. Yeah, I'm, and people always say they think it's without papers. But anyway, I, I that's on my list. WAP it in South Dakota. I'd love to get up there and film and see if I can't get to the bottom of the mystery. So maybe we'll time it for a Norwegian Fest and we'll get up there and enjoy their version.
2: Not now we're done with that. We're not going to South Dakota in January. <laughs> no, no, no. The time no. for that is Pets and August trip.
1: Maybe there is a Norwegian equivalent of an Italian feast. I don't know. I you know, I know the Swedes celebrate Saint Lucy's Day, that's a big deal, but I know for us there's nothing like a feast. And I know in particular in New York, you know, we get caught up in the San Gennaro Festival and in Little Italy and the giglio in Brooklyn and those are sort of throughout the city well known and, and in some sense owned by the whole city, the experience. But there's so many feasts that go on and have been going on for a long time and one of them is right around the corner as I said we're recording today August 15th is Ferragosto and right around the corner is the feast of Saint Rocco and the feast of Saint Rocco of Potenza has been celebrated in Manhattan's Lower East Side and Little Italy since 1889 by immigrants uh, and the and the ancestors of immigrants from Potenza in Basilicata, which is near where the Viola family comes from. My family comes from that province, as a matter of fact. And uh, we have a friend of ours on here today who is really the the man who saved this it. feast. Yeah, I mean, it's just safe to say that's why Steve is
2: on. Yeah. But for Steve, there would be no St. Rocco Festival left in
0: Manhattan. Punte Bast. Well, thank you, fellas. I'm glad I, I'm glad I'm not being filmed because I'm red. But thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Well, Steve LaRocco, you deserve it. Welcome to the Italian-American Podcast, and thanks for spending time with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm very
0: honored. Thank you. Yeah, you, you definitely
2: deserve the praise. For people who want to know, um, in Godfather II, the feast that is, that's kind of emulated, even though it's the feast of St. Rocco Falls in August, and it's wintertime, what you see portrayed in the Godfather, and Steve, you can correct with the details, is the St. Rocco of Potenza feast in Manhattan
0: Not only that, but that is our statue. And apparently when Francis Ford Coppola was looking to create a a procession scene and a feast scene, he looked for the oldest or one of the oldest Italian-American religious statues in the city. And he came upon St. Rocco and he asked Angela Carnevale, who was our treasurer, but really de facto president, could he rent St. Rocco? And she thought about it and she said, well, you can, but... You can't touch him. Only members can touch him. So all the men carrying St. Rocco's image in the movie are members of the society. And furthermore, even the priest who's leading the procession was the parish priest from St. Joseph at the time, whose name escapes me at the moment. So that's how a statue in the movie. You are kidding me. I never no. knew that. Yes, yes. yes. You want
2: to know something? I always had suspicions about that priest because he's too good at what he does in that scene like most times <laughs> you see priests in a the movie they have no idea they, they bless themselves the wrong way mm-hmm. he was very very he was too good at that to have been an actor wow that confirms that then because yeah. he says a responsory there's a responsory somewhere um to saint rocco and he says that before he does the benediction with the relic
0: yes yeah no very very authentic
1: Steve, can you give us a little bit about the history of the feast in New York? Because St. Rocco's got a devotion all over the south of Italy. Correct. He's a very particular saint, plagues and illnesses. And we talk about a lot of feasts and a lot of saints. And this one is amongst the oldest in the city. And it kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes of the conversation. Tell us about St. Rocco and how this devotion came to New York.
0: Okay. Well, the devotion came, I would say initially, by all immigrants from Basilicata, the various towns. I mean, at one point, and not that long ago, in the 1960s, there were still three feasts for St. Rocco on the same day. Hours, one on Mont Street, lower Mont Street by Transfiguration Church, people from Roti in the province of Potenza, and then up by old St. Patrick's Cathedral on modern spring, people from Savoy de Lucania also buzzing like up. So were, and I, my understanding is there were more, but those were like the three that survived. What, what makes us unique is that we're the only one that survived. But St. Rocco's devotion, as you said, John, in the South is universal and universal because of the continuous plagues that, that uh, you know, COVID made this all real for us. You know, I mean, I can think of all the years saying the prayers to St. Rocco dialect, prayers, Italian, prayers, English, and they all reference the plague. And I, I would say to myself, well, St. Rocco, well, I guess that just means sickness in general. You know, we're never going to have a plague. and You know, oh, no.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we think how this devastated us. Imagine, you know, in 1700, 1600. When you had no technology, no ability to do anything, uh, you know, his devotion spread like wildfire in the South. And apparently, um, not apparently, we were a hot spot for plagues, you know, with the center of the the world, southern Italy. So they were coming from every direction. And that's it. And his devotion then was brought by these various groups to all over the United States. I mean, I've I've read I don't know that it's 100 percent accurate, but after the Blessed Mother and St. Anthony, one of the most popular saints for Italian-American feasts in the country has been St. So, Oh,
2: yeah, absolutely. That's not even. Yeah, I, I would I don't, say, I think Mount Carmel, St. Anthony, and St. Rocco's probably, up to 40% of them, maybe 30%. Right. But, Steve, let me ask you a question. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal devotion and your family devotion and your connection to St. Rocco and the feast in Manhattan?
0: Okay, I'll, I'll, it's it's like the story of my life, but I'll make I'll make it as brief and concise as a lawyer is capable, all right? Pat, we're not we're not too good at concise. And no, lawyer. it's not.
2: And not I me. We're I, gonna
0: try. We're gonna see try. see how John gets all excited. So yeah, yeah. Throw <laughs> him under a bus. I gotta
2: edit him.
0: Throw him under. Hey, a come bus. on. Hey, one lawyer to another. We know. All right. Very. I, I think I can tie it all into the history. Okay. So, 1889. These immigrants from the the city of Potenza come to Roosevelt, what was then Roosevelt Street, which is, no longer exists. More or less from where Chatham Square is to the FDR Drive. That, that's a basic map of where that was. But There was a sprawling, enormous southern Italian immigrant population in that area. And these men from Potenza founded the society. What was interesting is that within maybe 20 years, if it was even that much, it was no longer just for these Potentini Lucani, as they called themselves, or really Potenzaeis, it was for all the different regions of there Because naturally, there were towns that came that didn't have enough people necessarily to make a feast. But St. Rocco was their saint. So they joined it. By the 30s and 40s, it was just a pan-Southern Italian devotion down there. So it was, you know, you can see the photos we have on our website. I mean, you just have to go on to the New York Public Library website. Just enormous crowds. And already pretty well-known. I think it's Life Magazine in the 40s. Probably before the war, ran a, a big article about the Italians and their saint of the sick. So, one of the reasons why we've been able to survive for 133 years is we were inclusive of other Southern Italians and not just people from the one original town of origin. Now, my grandmother, may she sure rest in peace, my buddy, my mom's mom, was in utero on her way from Basilicata to Roosevelt Street and was born about a month after her mother arrived and lived on Roosevelt Street. So this was a family story about her growing up and looking out the window. And, oh, Stephen, all you saw was St. Rocco's head by the time he came back to church. He was covered in money and the women barefoot and the men barefoot and the candelabras on their heads and the giant candles. So it was very relevant, as he was also the patron of our town in Basilicata. So it was all very important. In the 50s, when they tore everything down for urban renewal, a lot of people, including my own family, assumed that that was the end of the feast because the church, St. Joachim, which was an Italian national parish down there, was also demolished. Most of the paisans had moved to Brooklyn. There wasn't a real contact anymore with the neighborhood, and people assumed it was over. So that, of course, cut down on the number. And, you know, like every other feast, the the times changed, and it wasn't, you know, as I think... uh, the man who wrote the Madonna of 116th Street, Robert Orsi, I think his name is. Orsi, yeah. You know, know, people needed the Madonna at one time for everything. And then with modernization and Americanization, the feast became somewhat less relevant, never irrelevant, but not as important. And so people kind of forgot about St. Rocco. Well, my grandmother, maybe, let's see, 35 years ago, my mom was helping her in the house. She fell, she gashed her leg. And she ulcerated on her lower leg, almost identical to St. Rocco's sore. So my grandmother had always been sick and she was the best. Nothing ever made her upset. She took everything in stride, but she was frightened because her own mother was an amputee. So she she heard the doctor tell my mother, "Um, I think your mom is going to have to have the leg amputated. And my grandmother said, I'm going to be crippled like my mother. I said, no, grandma, he's going to heal you and I'm going to walk barefoot. So her first response was, you're not going to walk barefoot, you'll hurt your feet.
2: Now, people need to know this. A lot of people don't know. That's an old Italian tradition that if the people would make a promise to a saint and if their prayer was answered or to bless blessed mother as an act of penance and to show people that the great miracle that was rendered, they would walk either every year or for 10 years or whatever set time. Exactly. Barefoot in a procession behind the saint. Exactly. Occasionally, you'll still see that, but that's the context of why Steve just said what he said.
0: Exactly. So anyway, uh, the leg is healed. Let's put it that way. So there's amazement and shock of the doctors and St. Anthony in the village came along and I was studying for, I don't know, either the LSAT or the bar exam. I want to say the LSAT and St. Anthony is my other man. So I said, St. Anthony, you're gonna I need a good grade. I have to get into a good law school. So I'm going to take my shoes off a little for you, but share the rest with St. Rocco because I can't find him. As I walked about a block, two elderly women walking arm in arm said, hey, look at that kid. Look at that kid with no shoes. Don't you remember when they did that for St. Rocco? There were hundreds of people like that. Nobody does that anymore. And I interjected and said, yeah, isn't it too bad the feast is over? They said, what do you mean it's over? It's not over. I said, well, they knocked everything down. Yeah, they moved over to St. Joseph's on Catherine and Monroe Street. Go there on August 16th and you'll find them. And I did. And I took off my shoes and I walked and within a few years, Angela Carnevale, the then as I said, president slash treasurer said, I want you to be a member. And I said, great. And then she said, I want you to be on the executive board. And I said, great. And then she said, I want you to be the president. And I said, well, look, Angela, unless I can bring this back to the way it was in my grandmother's childhood, I don't, I don't think I should do it. I want to do the best or I can't do it at all. Well, I don't know how that's going to be possible. Remember how many Italian people there were down there? I said, well, people don't know it exists. Not only are you missing out on people who left the neighborhood, and were American born. What about the Italians who came in the 60s and 70s? I might not have gone to Manhattan, went straight to Brooklyn or New Jersey or somewhere else. They don't know this is here. We have to advertise. Oh, well, we're going to get the money. The church needs the money. So without telling her, I started paying for ads in the Italian Tribune and the tablet and the Catholic New York. And what did they do? They sent the paid receipts to the church where she volunteered as the bookkeeper. So she called me. Is this the Stephen LaRocca Society or the St. Rocco Society? I said, well, oh, uh, what are you talking about? She said, I know you're paying. Only an Italian would
2: have that response.
0: <laughs> of course. Exactly. Yeah. Only.
2: After you went to your own pocket and shelled out the cash, only an Italian would have had that response.
0: And you know what? It worked. And she was happy. And little by little, you know, I remember the old people while we were still at St. Joseph St. Stephen, I haven't seen a baby carriage here in years. And there are people with baby carriages here. And it grew and grew. And I grabbed every friend I had. I don't care if you ever step foot in church, you're going to do this for me once. If you don't like it, don't come back. And everybody's come back. And I got a wife out of it. And I met my wife from all this. So a lot of great, my whole life, say Rocco has been there. And hence, you got a baby from the wife. And Yes, I did. As my Salvatore Rocco. Yes, I got, uh, I got my kid. So what's interesting is we never stopped, but we had a lull there for a while. And, thankfully with you know I, I always have to give praise out to the italian tribune they, they do so much you know the other papers do what they have to do as long as you pay them but the italian tribune is is amazing and any opportunity i have to talk about our saint his miracles and our culture you know this is our culture the family and the feast They're, those are the two things that set us aside from everyone else and it is so essential and, and look pat and i've talked about this a thousand times sometimes you have the priests and churches that are on your side and help you. And sometimes they diametrically opposed to you and you have to fight them, but it has to go on. It has to, this can't last 133 years and stop. And so that's why we had the procession during the pandemic. We had it last year during the hurricane and God will send Give us a little mercy. This Sunday will be a relatively calm weather.
2: Because you're one of the top five oldest feasts in the U S St. Rocco is in that top five.
0: I'm humbled and, and happy. And I imagine that's, I know, John, you're you're from Sons, Am I correct, John? Yes, we got you by one year. (laughs) You got me by one year. (laughs) That's why I yell at people. Do not say we're the oldest. We are not.
1: (laughs) There's one year. Everybody yells at me when I say that we're the old. I say we're the second oldest, and they tell me, no, you're the fourth. That's all right. You know what? We're really old. We're up there. Yeah.
2: To avoid that Italian contest
0: right exactly that's why
2: i said i would say that it's the top five Hamilton is definitely the oldest yeah without question exactly but you know steve when i was talking to john that i really wanted this episode and it kind of worked out nicely that we're now on st rocco's eve the one thing i really wanted to highlight is a question a subject a discussion we've had here is sometimes you need to change or adopt to survive correct and that is not who, as Italians, it's always, hold on. That's the way my great-grandmother did it. Uh huh. But I know a conversation that we had. St. Rocco, the actual feast that was in Manhattan, was on August 16th, which is his always. actual feast day. Always. And you made the radical move of saying, let's move it to the Sunday. Yes. So that we can get more people and survive. Do you want to talk about what that battle was like?
0: It was, you know, at this point, the battle, the, the society itself was composed of myself, this is my dear Angela Carnevale and her sister Anna, and maybe one or two people from the neighborhood. It was by that point already, we were kind of in control already. So we didn't have an internal battle. You know, Angela and Anna were forward thinkers. And they said, you know, Steve, that might be the right thing to do. I said, it breaks my heart. I, You know, August 16th, I'm going to feel strange going to work or, or even staying home and not, and not being here. But I think this is the only way to make this grow. Uh, The neighborhood, the people in the neighborhood who, you know, never do anything but come, uh, were a little pissed. And that first year, people just came on August 16th expecting to find them and then were disappointed. But, you know, as I said, we had it after August 16th. So they weren't that disappointed. If they wanted to come back, they could. But it wasn't very much. It didn't take much to change people when they saw the the numbers. It was just simple that people of a modern bent, you know, and then you can have the argument, well, St. Anne in Hoboken' july twenty sixth and they're they're there in St. Gerard they have them for Saint. Gerard, but you know St Gerard also has them for three days, you know. We just lost that continuity, and that's because of urban renewal and that whole change I was talking about before, we lost a lot of our continuity. So if we're going to recreate in the modern world, you have to recreate like you say bending. I'm, I' believe I hate any kind of change at all, but this I felt was was necessary, and we did it, and it was a, a great success for us.
1: You know, it's really interesting because not only have you guys moved once during urban <laughs> renewal, but in 2015 you had to move again when Saint Joseph's closed we to go sure to did. Most Precious Blood, which is sort of the bunker church now for a lot of feasts, uh, Italian American feasts in the in Manhattan, in Manhattan for sure. But you know, you've gone through those things, and to be able to make a decision like that, like I, you know, my family is Sanzi, my grandmother's family, and we celebrate August 5th, and this year I. Went to the mass. I called my family. It was not that many years ago, pre-COVID, that I would go August fifth every year, and I'd have invitations to go to Sanza and be a part of it there because you know we have family there, I have friends there, and I always said I can't leave Brooklyn on August fifth because this is my family's. This you know this is the holiday, right? I see my second, and third, my my extended family, my cousins that I don't see often. That's right. And we have a big meal and we process and blah blah blah. This year, I spoke to a couple of cousins who wasn't around. My dad was out of town. And they told me when I got there, I'm a member of the society now, right? So I get there, and they said half the guys in the society got COVID and couldn't come. So it was a much smaller contingent of members. And my own family basically boiled down to myself, my aunt, my two cousins from Connecticut, and one of my cousin's wives. And that was it. And it was not that many years ago you know, four years ago, five years, whatever. I mean, Pat, you'd come to the lunches. We'd have my entire extended family there, and all of the members of my grandmother's family that I don't get to see very often, I would get to see at the feast, and it was a catch-up, and it was, you know, just a wonderful family holiday. And it dawned on me, you know, who's out of town, who's sick, who's aging, where have there been deaths in the family? And I oftentimes think to myself, you know, if we didn't, because our feast is not that big. It's just the people from Sansa, really. It's just very private devotion, and the church was kind of empty, and I think to myself, you know, it would be painful to not be marching behind Our Lady on August 5th like I have my whole life and like my dad and my grandmother did, but next year is Saturday, and I have to suspect on a Saturday it's going to be a lot better attended. And then two years from now when it's Sunday, i got to expect it's going to be even better attended because that's how it's been in the past. You get that bump on a weekend, people maybe overcome a little bit of laziness or apathy or whatever it is because they have the time, they don't have to reschedule stuff. And, you know, it's a courageous thing to do, and it's difficult for those of us who are hardliners and want to be there on the feast. But, you know, maybe this is the way that these things have to go. You know, like, I remember conversations I had with people in Milwaukee where Milwaukee's got this huge Italian festival, and they did that because in the 70s when all of these feasts were dying – they basically said, okay, we're going to have one big festival every year for whatever it is, two weeks, and we'll have mass for all the saints and all the societies will process with their banners, with their statues, and sure, it's not the feast day anymore, but you know what? It still goes on. These societies still march with the saint together as the entirety of the city's Italian community, and the festa, the secular festa that's been now created around it, is one of the best attended Italian-American events in the country. So, you know, see, it worked. Right?
2: For, them, right? It worked yeah. right. For them, it worked. I mean, they had lost Milwaukee, lost their Italian parish um, that, that grew out of the festival from urban renewal. And they took the gamble and they rolled the dice and they came up with something new, basically an All Saints festival where everybody processed. And they survived, you know. And Steve, let me ask you a question mm-hmm. Do you think St. Rocco would have survived? had it not been moved to a weekend, or at least would it have been off life support? If you had stayed on the 16th, do you think you would have been able to make it work? No. Or there were just too many factors?
0: Too many factors. And the factors were, for me, bringing younger people. Now, you know, people like us, and we're a small little group, the three of us, and people like us, have this devotion that we'll take a vacation day. You know, I mean, I start a job. I tell them, you know, June 13th, St. Anthony, I'm not working, you know. Most people won't do that, especially if it's something new to them. If they grew up the way we did with or it's been a large portion of our life, fine. But most people who are new to something aren't going to take that day off. So we were building on all new people. We weren't building on just a group that existed already. And there's no way it would have happened. It would have been it would have been a small event And it would have been nice. And I don't know that we would have been necessarily asked to transfer from St. Joseph's to most precious blood by Bishop O'Hara. When he called us, he said, you know, word of this has hit the Cardinals ears. And I was kind of dumbfounded by that. Us little, little group here on the, you know, in in an unknown corner of the Lower East Side. But it hit because, you know, a lot of people come and we do a lot of advertising. And, you know, the police, the fifth precinct is behind us. And there's just, it, it wouldn't have happened. I mean, I could sit and think of a hundred reasons why it wouldn't have happened, but for it being the Sunday. So you think the feast would have died? It would have died. It would have died. All right, it would have died. It would have died. We, we'd have a mass and that would be it. How many people do you expect to come like a year like this? Uh, I'm praying for, you know, the cops estimated the start. Now, you know, it's a long procession. And there's too many temptations along the way, you know, Oh, let's yeah. go to Mulberry street. And eat, Everybody flakes. Know? off. Everybody I mean, wants he, yeah. to leave Everybody who has blocks. lunch. There's yeah. too many bars and restaurants, but we've, they, they've estimated we've started the procession with close to a thousand people. Get out of town that many. Yeah. Like between 700 and a thousand. Um, I'll be very happy with five, 600. That's for sure. Unfortunately, most precious blood is not a big, big church. You know, St. Joseph's was a much larger church. Yeah. Um, we we toyed the first year with having cameras and not cameras, excuse me, TV screens in front of the church, and some seating outside, but no one seemed keen on that. And we have no air conditioning, so <laughs> you want yeah. authentic Southern Italian experience? There you got it. You know, <laughs> yeah, all, that's true. We can all bake together. Um, <laughs> but it, look, it's an hour. It's not the end of the world. And you're outside in the procession, and that's it. So I'm hoping for the biggest turnout ever every year. I pray for that and. You know, you'll always see new faces, and thank God you see the faces you see every year. And, and as I said, if it's the four of us carrying him, I'll be happy, as as we were last year during the tropical storm when I kind of broke the law <laughs> and made us walk <laughs> anyway. But uh, thank God for the fifth precinct that they closed their eyes to uh, to our three-hour march in a tropical storm. But um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's devotion. It, it, oh, <laughs> you know, and
0: really, and, and it, it's it's just it's it. it It's I I don't want to get choked up, but one of our members, a very young woman, has cancer and she lives across the street from St. Joseph's. And uh, she was unable to get out, but she was going to be looking out her window and her mom throws rose petals down on St. Rocco every year when we approach the sidewalk of the building. So when we got to one of our first stops, which is the Church of Transfiguration on Mott Street to see their St. Rocco inside the church. It was pouring, and a, a couple of people said, "Steve, don't you maybe maybe we should just turn back to at least go down Mulberry and just get back to the church." And for that moment, I, I was torn. And then I looked at this woman's husband and son, and, and they 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 were heartbroken. I said, "No, no, no, sorry, we're soaking wet. We can't get any wetter than we already are. And if we're gonna get sick, we got sick already. So let's do it." And and I said, "We have to do it for this woman." And and everybody was thrilled. And that's the whole point. Saint Rocco is there to see the sick. You know, when somebody's in a wheelchair. When we get to the that neighborhood, St. Joseph's, Knickerbocker Village is really the only building that has Italian-Americans left, and it's a handful, and they're predominantly very aged and almost all in wheelchairs. And if you don't cry when you see these people see St. Rocco come, then you have a heart of stone. I mean, that's it's all fun on Mulberry Street, and the tourists get a kick out of it. But this this is, is what it's all about. He's coming out into that neighborhood where he's been coming out for 133 years, and we we stop, you know, we pass... We can't physically walk through the streets of Roosevelt Street because they don't exist, but we go to where that was. We go to St. Joseph's, then we come back to Mulberry Street. So it's very important to us.
2: You know, I think this is such a... I'm so glad you came on, Steve, for many reasons.
0: No, oh, I'm so happy you, uh, you let me talk about my favorite subject. How can I be said? <laughs>
2: well, and you know, the one thing is, A, it recognizes
0: you for the fact that you did save St. Rocco. Well, thank Had you. Had it not been
2: for you, it would have been gone.
0: Well... He Saint Rocco chose me. I, that's that's all I can say. Saint
2: Rocco definitely chose you. There's no question about it. And the second thing I think is that what you really show is that you know look at all that Saint Rocco went through. Yeah. Th- your feast. It was at Saint Joachims. Then it went to Saint Joseph's. Now it's at Precious Blood. It changed neighborhoods. Its original neighborhood was torn down. Um, the neighborhood that it that it was in at Saint Joseph's was almost all Chinese, right? You know. Correct. Um, Correct. The dem- demographics change. You know Manhattan. There's no more ethnic neighborhoods in Manhattan, Italian neighborhoods. It's all gone. And, you know, you persevered. And I think it's so important to highlight that you made that decision and said, I'm going to move to a Sunday. And the reason I bring it up is that my grandma's maternal family is from County di Sorrento. And they have a procession for Our Lady of Grace, which is July 2nd. And my friend, who's very involved with the municipality, said to me that some years ago they had to move it from July 2nd to the first Sunday in July. And he said, you know, they got a lot of pushback. It's always been on July 2nd. And he said to me, if we didn't move it, it was going to die the way that it was. And I think so much of you when I talk about it, because it's the same thing. You know, John and I have had the conversation, like a lot of Neapolitan Christmas cookies. They're jawbreakers. Mm -hmm. You know, the rococo, the mustachola. I remember a couple of years ago, my brother wouldn't eat them. He's like, they're too hard. And I started to soften them. Um, Did I sell out? You know, now there's soft mustard in Naples that you can get, and they're stuffed, and they're they're almost like gooey, like a brownie. But my decision was either I'm going to wind up every January with a pile of cookies that nobody ate, or I'm going to modify them. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you and I are diehard traditionalists. For sure. When it comes to stuff. But all I know now is my brother commented this. She's like, wow, what did you do? They're really good. So, you know, I think that's a big question for people out there. You know, it's the same thing as Milwaukee. I mean, when you're handed lemons, do you make limoncello? You know, that, that's, that's right. the question. That's but,
3: right.
0: but then, you know, there's another side to this. There's many people who've said to me, why are you doing it in lower Manhattan still? Why don't you bring this to, I happen to live in Diker Heights in Brooklyn, which is a, a small, we're holding on Italian enclave. And I said, because we're not a traveling circus. I said, This neighborhood will change the way every neighborhood changes. And there's no connection between our feast and here, other than, you know, half of the residents of Dica come to St. Rocco, but that's part of the pilgrimage. That doesn't mean that the feast comes here. It's it's essential that we stay down there or or our history is lost. If you go down to St. Joseph's Church, there's not one piece of evidence that, that that was a sprawling Italian community. Nothing. Except the building that says San Giuseppe on it until the, the diocese sells it and knocks it down. And Vanilla Funeral Home was the last thing, and they're gone. So there's nothing like anyone, any tourist, any stranger, anybody who's never been to Lower Manhattan would assume that the millions of Italian-American New Yorkers all came out of one block, you know, Mulberry Street. Yeah,
2: I say that all the time. And, and
0: that's why we can't leave these. you know. So, so there aren't that many Italians left down there. They have a small handful. When there are none there, we're going to still be there, as long as God wills.
2: Now, Steve, I got to ask, I'm going to bring another point to everyone's attention. You moved it to a Sunday, but also you've gone out of control with publicity. Yes. If you were in the New York metro area in the summertime, you're going to hear about Steve's Feast of St. Rocco, pamphlets, brochures, posters. I mean, no one can claim ignorance as far as your feast is concerned. For sure. But the other thing you did was that you brought back a lot of traditions that had long been gone. And one of them is people in the procession carrying body parts, hands, legs, and the like. Made out of wax, it's like ex-photos. And I think that's fascinating. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and explain to the audience what that is and how you brought that back and the importance sure. it has to your procession?
0: Well, the ex-photo is, is something that's, I guess, not only Southern Italian, it's Mediterranean, it's Greek, they had them in ancient Egypt. They had them everywhere. Even
2: in Walsingham, in England, they had them mm-hmm. before the Reformation.
0: So it's, it, but it, I think its origin is definitely Mediterranean. Um, in yeah. any event, the church did not suppress it with the arrival of christianity and catholicism to southern italy uh, not that they could have if they wanted to but i don't think they even made the attempt but not so in the united states uh we had you know there were at least two or three shops on the lower east side quite a few in east Harlem, i'm sure in south brooklyn probably in williamsburg that produced these for people you made a vow of st rocco and then particularly saints of healing like st rocco you know my leg hurts this hurts that hurts I will carry in the procession an image of the body part that you healed, or I'll carry the image that I need you to heal. And they were available. Well, that ended in the 40s, I'm sure. By the 1950s, I doubt there were any shops left that made them. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was the 60s, but it certainly didn't go past that. But our society maintained at least maybe 200 wax body parts, and they were in the basement of the church. And I have the paperwork from the society from the 1970s they would be rented. So since people could no longer buy them, you'd, you'd make a donation. There wasn't a set price, but I have the paper that says armed $1, 50 cents for the leg. I mean, whatever, whatever uh, you know, the body part was. And the people would pay that money. They would carry the body part and bring it back to the church. Well, a priest who remained nameless, decided this pagan thing was unnecessary and threw them all away. It's always pagan
2: when it's Italian. You notice that? Oh, absolutely. I said you you didn't
0: throw the Christmas tree away yet. You know, that certainly has nothing to do with Jesus Christ.
2: But um, no, it does have something to do with Jesus Christ because it was a pagan symbol that was Christianized. uh, Absolutely. And if that and if that's not the epitome of Christianity is And I don't know what does. So I agree. You know, all these. But people always ask me, well, weren't all these pagans? Sure, they were. You know, the shrine of Sacramento in Novi Velia was a shrine to Hera. Of course. The goddess Hera. And then when the area Christianized, they turned the shrine to Hera into the shrine of the Virgin Mary.
0: Which made sense. Yeah, correct.
3: Summer's here in full swing, and we want to know how you, Italian-American, for the season. The Italian-American Podcast is partnering with Mediaset Italia for an exciting giveaway. Just snap a pic of your most Italian-American moment this summer, post it to Instagram, And you could win an exclusive Mediaset Italia picnic pack. The picnic pack includes a portable blanket, picnic basket, cheese board, plates, utensils, stackable wine goblets, and a wine opener. Everything you need for an aperitivo picnic under the sun. How do you get your chance to win? It's easy. Just capture what Italian summer means to you and post your picture to Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at italianamerican and at mediasetitaliausa, then tag both accounts in your post. Don't forget to use the hashtag iHeartMediaSetItalia so we can find it. Post your pictures between now and September 21st, and we'll pick 20 lucky listeners to receive their picnic pack in the mail. Open to residents of the continental United States? Visit Instagram at mediasetitalia for more information, terms, and conditions.
0: In any event, where are we going to get these, right? These ex-voto. And, of course, because I'm stubborn. At first, I tried to make them. That was a disaster because I'm not a sculptor. And I, you <laughs> know, I don't know how to work in boiling wax. That was a nice experience in my backyard. My father was thrilled with that. Um, <laughs> but after that, I had a friend who was going to Calabria, to Reggio Calabria, to Gioiosa Yonica, a big, say, Rocco town. And I said, I don't know if they have them in your town, but I know they still sell these in, in and around your town. Do me a favor, please, at least for my grandmother, since it was a healing of her leg, please bring me back at least a leg. Well, he came back in a suitcase with some legs, some arms. All made of wax. All made of wax. And that's how we started. Then one of our members who's now on the executive board, uh, John Cordy, he too went to the same area of Calabria a few years ago. And I said, you know, people are asking me for the breast, for breast cancer. And he's like, oh, God, you want me to bring on my breast? I said, yes. You I said, and, you know, who has eye problems and heart problems? He drew the line at the head that, that he, he said, I'm not bringing a decapitated head in my suitcase. That, that's not happening.
2: But <laughs> John and I will. Oh. <laughs> yes, but, we would.
0: Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. I, I awaited. So what we do is we display them in front of St. Rocco at the mass. And anyone who wants to take them, I don't ask for a donation anymore. People are more than generous with what they pin on St. Rocco. So anyone who wants to carry it, carry, but I make sure that the leg gets out. So uh, in honor of my grandmother, somebody was, was certainly usually not me. Because I'm a little too crazed on the day, but uh, somebody carries it.
1: That's really one. I mean, to me, that the continuity there and the idea, of the ex voto and that devotion. Uh, you know, people lose those things, but you think about you know different churches in Southern Italy, a lot in the United States, where metal ex votos were donated with exactly. precious metal, and right. you know, those collections still exist in a lot of places. They're no longer displayed because a lot of priests have seen them as you know. Uh, Hokey, I guess, or you know, a ancient,
2: uh, clogging up. I think they think they're
0: irrelevant, right? They're clogging yeah, they think up they're irrelevant, and that's,
3: yeah. That's, yeah, but that's, that's how it. you
2: made this relevant because millennials, whom I'll never understand, never, <laughs> never, ever, ever, have this pre- this, this, uh, predilection is the right word? Yeah, that's it. Isn't that good? For, um, I don't want to say it cheapens the feast if I say, uh, Showmanship, but they, they no, for like rituals, ritual. For yeah. Here he comes. Go go, represent birthday boy. Two more days. Oh yeah. Go I'm ahead, no millennial. millennial. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So, explain to us what it is to the um, seniors here on the podcast.
1: Oh, I mean, uh, as a matter of fact, there was an article this week that everybody sent me that I I don't have a subscription to, so I couldn't get access to the actual article. But uh, apparently, there was an article in the New York Times about how the the coolest place to be in New York right now is the Traditionalist Catholic Church, because young people are being drawn in by the ritual, by the tradition, by the stability of these traditions. And and I think that that's, you know, the fact that you can take a, a wax arm, right, as an outward sign of your prayerful intentions around, you know, an arm injury, whatever it is. And you can carry it. First of all, it's tactile, and you can experience the penance and the penitence around your request. Exactly. But also, when you get the explanation from somebody like Steve or you, Pat, or whoever it is, and you can you can draw back the logical understanding of why all the way to pre-Christian rituals. There's something very real about that for people. You know, I mean, th- th- there's a reason that traditions survive because. They have a lineage and they have a longevity that, you know, if if I said to somebody like, hey, you know, carry a quarter on your head, it's going to heal you, and I make that up and there's no lineage to it, it's revealed for what it is, right? It's It's this made-up fantastical kind of nonsense. But, you know, look, people would have stopped doing them if they didn't feel that there was miraculous intervention attached to them. So you can hear Steve's story about his grandmother's healing and you can hear stories so it's like you know, it's like the tradition of the church to begin with, right? The Catholic Church is based on an on an oral lineage. Exactly. From the first apostles to the hierarchy of the church today. So, you know, you somebody will listen to this and they can go, Oh, I know Steve and I I heard this guy Steve and he had this happen to him and then there was somebody that taught your family about their experience with it, and it goes on and on and on. You can always draw back to the original source. So I think I think these are important realities for
0: people. But they need to be reintroduced, unfortunately. The candelabra, the chin, the, as we call it. I know you have it for Marunamonde,
2: Yeah, I have a
0: And we have it for St. Rocco. That was another one. We had one at the church. The priest threw it away. My dad had a surgery. I said, if he comes through well, I'll make it. Of course, my dad ended up making it because I'm not exactly skillful in these things. But you know, here we are. It came back, and now people say, "Oh, we have to carry the candles." And what we do now, because they kind of got real, it's really heavy because I use like the best candles possible. It's on a little cart, and my son and his cousin and young kids—you know, kids under the age of fourteen—are pulling this cart and getting them ready to carry the saints someday. So,
2: isn't it unbelievable that we have to put a chinda on a cart? Yeah. For those of you who don't know, a chinda is a vote offering. So if the people would make a vow or act of Thanksgiving for a miracle or grace received and they would carry a hundred candles on a decorated uh a bear um that they would carry on their heads yeah as a donation to the church and that would be their lighting for the year because they would get multiple ones, you know, multiple packets of a hundred candles and that's what they lit at night because there was no electricity. But I bring attention to this because if you look back in the eighties and nineties, and even today in Italy, but here in the U.S. the 90s, one old Italian lady could for hours walk barefoot and carry a hundred candles on her head. From that, we evolved to two Italian-American women carrying them, one in the front, one on the back, like it was like um, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What's when you get sick? What's the thing they call it when you put them on? Oh,
0: a stretcher, right? A, a stretcher. stretcher.
2: So it went to like a stretcher where you had a hundred candles and then two people carrying it. Then we wound up with four people carrying it. Now we can't even carry it. We got to get a cart. So what made those old Italian ladies 30 years ago carry on their head for eight hours?
3: With they four Chinese Americans,
2: they were strong. They, they were, were strong. strong. They lived on this. These st- kids, go to, they, they're in the gym 18 hours a day. They can't carry a chin down their head. Yeah, but you
1: know what though? But Steve made a point earlier in the episode, which is this was not only a real solution to people. But it was one of the only solutions for people. Right. The devotion to the saint, prayer for the miraculous intervention. This was the only hope they had. And and even and we're not talking about seventeen hundred. We're talking about people a generation or two ago who you know maybe didn't have access to the uh, advances in medicine that we've experienced today, or you know the idea that you could Google search for your symptoms. And you know we we were not as involved in these kind of things. So for many people, the faith and devotion was real. And when you I'm sure feel that in a real way. There's a difference with the chains on your head. You know what I mean? Like you're,
0: you're doing for a reason that I couldn't John. I, I, that's the most brilliant analysis I've heard because I can tell you, I cannot walk in the summer in bare feet in my backyard from my garage to the front of the house, but I can walk barefoot in the procession on broiling blacktop and I'm okay. Why? Because I don't want it. because there's no point behind walking barefoot in my backyard on the concrete. But when I'm doing it for St. Rocco or St. Anthony or the Blessed Mother, whoever I'm doing it for, the the, the connection is so tremendous. It it really, I mean, I'm sure they could do a neuropsychological exam on you. And somehow the endorphins that come out really may block the pain and may give you the ability to do it that you can't do when it's for a secular or or, nonsensical reason.
1: And I mean, that's the beauty of the relationship between faith and science, right? Right. Is it the science of your endorphins that are happening because you believe it, or are they happening because there is some
0: intervention from the the divine? Well, we believe the latter. We believe the latter for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's I, if I could make one last comment, I think the key to St. Rocco's success, for lack of a better phrase or word, is that he continues to make the miracles. This isn't. I, uh, he did this wonderful, spectacular miracle for my grandmother, followed by a miracle after miracle for me and my family. But for all the people that I introduced, I said to them, pray to him, pray to him. He's going to hear you and you're going to want to come back. And they did. And I've said that to other society members. So how did you, uh, societies rather, how did you do this? I said, I didn't. He did it.
3: Yeah. I just
0: introduced people to him. So that that's the thing. If this is going to be done in memory of only you can't live. It has to be real to you in your life where you are today. You have to say, St. Rocco healed me in one way or another. I've had people come and say, you know, I was just in a bad place in my life. I wasn't sick organically. I just wasn't where I wanted to be. And he changed that for me. And that's that's what we need. So And look, COVID showed us. Science can't do everything, right? And St. Rocco put his uh, arm around all of us during this terrible period. And so it's real. and And that makes my work and your work and all of our work a little easier because we're not promoting something that's not real. This is palpable and real and alive.
1: Yeah. It's something that I always try to, the conversation I always try to have with people, you know, we're not trained. We're not introduced to the idea of miracles and, and faith as that pillar in modern society. We live in practically secular times, right? Right. Some of us come from families where that was a big part of who we are and it maintains but you know if you say to somebody like oh you've got this horrible prognosis pray to x saint pray for a miracle they think it's 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 hooey but it's not that long ago
2: it was the norm
1: that there was a trap door at the church of our lady in mont carmel in east harlem where they had to literally push the the crutches and the wheelchairs and the all of the yeah. instruments left behind by people who were miraculously cured by our lady up in harlem and that's on On record they're there those crutches were There
0: right
2: it was the Trap door was for the baby clothes there Were so many women Who could not conceive who went to Mount Carmel in East Harlem that After they had the baby they would come back and Bring the baby clothes and donate it to The church for poor people that they Had to have a trap door at Mount Carmel because they would throw so many people would pass By like a conveyor belt they had To throw the clothes down and there was women Underneath with a large laundry Cart who would just move the clothing out
1: yeah. Wow. But people don't think of that as an option anymore.
0: No, they don't. They don't.
2: Steve, let me ask you a question. So you have, uh, you've been in, your feast has been in a number of neighborhoods which are, were formerly Italian and no longer are. And now you're in a Manhattan that's very much not Italian. Do the hipsters, do the crowd that move in, do they have any engagement with you? You know, these hipsters that come from all across America? These 20, 30, 40 somethings, um, do they look on
0: that it's bizarre? Do they question you? Do they become involved? They don't become involved, for sure. But and, and I don't think you'd expect them. They're predominantly not of Catholic background. Um, I think most people look on it in shock. I don't think they really know what it is. And when we briefly explain it to them, I want to say that the, the reaction of the bystanders, for lack of a better word, is, is more positive than negative. You'll get occasionally people who look like they're scoffing or, you know, why are these idiots in the street, you know, sweating, carrying this statue? And why are all these people, why is there a 20-piece band marching behind them or in front of them? But I think it's been my experience, more respectful silence or or just, I don't want to say awe, maybe the wrong word, but they just say, wow, this is something different. And it is. That brings us back to when we came to this country. Can you imagine the WASP American and the Irish Catholic seeing this? You know, they were
2: absolutely
0: horrified. Yeah, they were horrified because it was so, so mystical, so different. So, you know, and uh, so that's what we get. I don't, I, and again, you know, we don't really have a parish down there, it's not like feasts coming out of Mount Carmel and Williamsburg or St. Francis of Powell or where they're in the community. We're not really in the community, we're there for this. You know, everybody sees me down there now. The last month, uh, uh, you know, you're always here, Steve. I said, Well, yeah, until the feast, and then I'll see you again next year. You know, I mean, I'm gonna go down, but not. With the regularity, so without like a real presence there, I can't say we have have any interaction that's more than people watching us as we pass by.
1: Pat and I processed. I don't even remember what it was, Pat. We were in Connecticut for something on a procession. Might have been Holy Thursday one year, but we processed through. I don't even remember Norwalk, maybe. And it was a big procession.
2: Oh, it was um Good Friday. Good Friday, right? Yeah, it was Good North
1: Friday. That's right, right? Good Friday, and uh, people were coming out and asking questions, and you could see people on their patios and whatnot. And I realized, and it was a very healthy crowd, and I realized that it was evangelical. But in that moment, you know, there's a priest, and there's a a series of priests, and there's parishioners that can say to everybody, you know, okay, well, here's our church. You you come, you know, going out into the street is... A lot different when you can.
2: It, it brings the sacred into the profane. It brings the right, and it, but it brings the church into the into the street. But it can and
1: it can invite people back into the sacred when there's a church there. But when you're sort of isolated, you know, you're doing this. It's a it's a it's difficult to send people back somewhere. Where, where right? Where are you going right. to send them? Where are you exactly. going to say meet us next week? And
0: yeah, you know. yeah, we're lucky at least because most precious blood is associated now with Old Saint Patrick's Cathedral, which is really. And uh, it might be not a nice thing to say, a yuppie church, but it's a Soho parish. So, yeah. you know, if anyone would be interested, we'd have a place to send them. But it, it's, look, this is our gift to the church. You know, that when Bishop O'Hara, the one who was in charge of closing the churches, called me, he said, you know, we really think you're doing a great thing. And I just couldn't resist. You know, you going to be a them, then you just have to say something. I said, you know, Bishop, this is wonderful. But the church didn't always feel this way about us Italians and our processions. He said, and we made a gigantic mistake. Wow. He said, because bringing the, uh, the faith out into the streets is the best thing in the world. You can't keep it locked up behind you know, church doors. I said, well, that's the most I mean, that's the best way to put Southern Italian religiosity. Yeah. It's not only in the church. No, it's not. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's every day. It's in your home. And yeah. and on these sacred days when we bring our saints out, it's there for the world to see.
1: It's not a particularly reflective brand of Catholicism. It's a It's, no, a, it's a real, it's an active, it's very yeah, it's real. An active and yeah, it's a very uh, active brand of of our tradition. So if you're interested in coming out for this active brand of our Catholic <laughs> tradition or even our Italian American tradition, for those who aren't religious, we highly recommend everybody come out this coming Sunday. This episode is going to air on wednesday august 17th so that means on uh, sunday
2: that's john's birthday, uh, don't, don't that's, john's yeah. birthday. Yeah. that's john's yeah, birthday that's john's birthday it's getting and he loves the cake. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> my cake <laughs> my least
1: favorite cake ever my mother just asked me that well, what cake do you want i'm like i know where this is going um
2: but, can that beat my mother going? You have him on the because your brother feels like it for your birthday. <laughs> no, <laughs> you win. You win. Why well, have him on the Because you when your when your little brother,
1: brother gets to pick your birthday meal, you win. That's very true. That's true. But on Sunday, August twenty first, everybody's going to be at Most Precious Blood Church. Steve, what time? Where can they meet you? And where can they find
0: information online? Okay, the uh, the feast day will be this Sunday, August twenty first. As you said, the mass is at eleven thirty. The church is at one thirteen Baxter Street which is right off of Canal, and the next block over is Mulberry Street, for those familiar. After the Mass, it takes some time to get St. Rockwell because some people want to venerate him and pin their money to him in the church, and so that kind of slows us down. But we get started between 1 and 1.30 with the procession, and we're back at church by quarter 5, 5 o'clock. So that, that's the day. And they could find you on the web? www.stroccosociety.com so no, no punctuation just stroccosociety.com and even if you look at St. Rocco Society of Potenza in New York City uh, Google that you'll find it and we have the actual route of the procession should you get there a little late you can maybe catch up and meet us on the route but the, frankly to see St. Rocco come out of the church is the highlight of the event so if you want to be there and you want to truly experience it I think the best time to get there is about quarter of one, 1230 quarter of one. They are parked. There's parking and parking lots available. Very unlikely to find a parking space on the street, especially if it's a nice day and you know, everyone's coming down to Mulberry street to eat. So your parking garages, which are around are the, your best bet. And
1: it's when, you know, for those who are interested in seeing this stuff, it's definitely something that's got tons of history in the Catholic tradition and the Italian American tradition. It's great to see something that has evolved forward and is thriving and it's just great to be in Little Italy for the day. And uh, I think it's something a lot of our audience will be interested in if they're in and around the New York area and want to come out. And look, honestly, whether you believe or not, does
2: if you believe or not, to hear Steve scream 8000 times over an afternoon, if you're a Zoroastrian, it's just uh, Steve, why don't you do that for us right now?
0: That's how it will end. Gentlemen. I've been humbled and honored to be with you tonight. I thank you so much for letting me be a part of your fantastic broadcast. And I and I want to praise both of you for what you do for our community. You're both tonight, quite a few years younger than me. So I, I'm very grateful to God and the saints. I'm, I'm not all right, gosh, a God, you know, you're <laughs> still You're younger than me, but I thank God and the saints for the two of you and all that you do for us. So let's hope this will be a great Sunday and tomorrow's his actual day. So don't forget to say pray to him tomorrow. We'll end it off with, Viva San
1: Loco! Nothing beats that, and if you want to hear Steve say it in person, scream it in person, make your way down to Church of the Most Precious Blood, Sunday, August 21st. It's gonna be a really special day. So we hope everybody's enjoyed this insight into a very, very unique feast in a very, very unique city and community. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> You're improving See, if you really want your, your life to be great He's found it cuz you
2: scored
1: Of course,
0: your life of
2: course. Will be <laughs> <great>. See <laughs> that you're born in Italy See that you're born in Italy